So if you were here last week, uh, tune me out for a little bit here at the start. <laughs> uh, I thought uh, our last week for this sermon series was last week, and I think I said that to y'all last week, so I apologize. This is the last week of our greater sermon series. Five weeks, not four weeks, but it can kind of be a standalone Sunday anyway um, as we think about Memorial Day too. And as David and I were meeting to plan the direction of this week, he said something that I think fits nicely to conclude this series. And as we think about today and this weekend being Memorial Day weekend, he said, a greater life extends beyond the scope of our lives. A greater life extends beyond the scope of our lives. And as we think about being greater and doing greater things as Jesus um, tells us that we can do now, that the tomb is empty in John chapter 14, this idea that our life extends beyond the scope of our lives is important for us to, I think, understand. That it, again, it isn't about us trying harder and putting forth more effort, but the, the life that our life points to is the very inner life of God and the love of God. And so there's a way in which as we live as if the kingdom has already come, there's still this, this not yet piece of it and that our life points beyond our own life. And even to the lives of some of those amazing servants who have sacrificed so much for us so that we can continue to live in a land where liberty is a primary characteristic in a land that is full of opportunity. So here at the start, if you or someone significant in your life has served this country in the armed forces, would you please stand? I want us to have just a, a little quiet, silent moment of prayer as we just remember and honor those significant people in our life who have sacrificed so much. So let's pray together. Holy God, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I, was, I was thinking this week about all those people in, in my life, knowing it's Memorial Day weekend. I, you know, I, I know you've heard me talk about Papaw before, and Papaw was 20 years as an army medic, and his dad, or not his dad, but his oldest brother, he had a lot of brothers. His oldest brother served in World War II, and my Uncle Mark on my mom's side, my mom's youngest brother, served in the army, and in and, and this, this weekend brings up a lot. We, we acknowledge that we live in a broken and a fallen world where such conflict is needed. And yet we do live in a world where real evil is present. And so it's important for us always to remember those who sacrifice so much. And thinking about Memorial Day and what it represents, the end of the life for those who have sacrificed and served, think of those last words that many of us, I think, want our last words to mean something. We want our last words to be memorable. And, and Papal now is dementia has really progressed. Um, he doesn't have a lot of capacities anymore. His life is very simple. He goes and eats and is very present still. And his joy is still as true today as it has always been. But there's not a, not a lot to his daily routine anymore because his capacities have diminished so much. And my uncle Matt and my Aunt Jill and cousin Casey 
are up there and they check in on them every day almost. And my uncle Matt will say, and my dad will say this too, when my dad talks to Papa on the phone, uh, Papa will get in the habit of repeating this, these, these three phrases, like, I love you, I've lived a good life, son, I'm ready. And my uncle Matt will occasionally, when he walks in to check on Papa, will hear him singing, swing low, sweet cherry. <laughs> and he'll say, hey, Pop, are you still with us on this side or have you crossed over to the other side? Because we need you to stay on this side with us a little longer. And my Papa, this kind of breaks, he kind of comes awake a little bit and realizes and he wakes up and he's, he laughs and he'll say, no, no, I'm still, I'm still here. I guess I'll stay a little while longer. And I'm pretty sure um, his last words are gonna be some formulation of, I love you, I'm ready, I've lived a good life. Those are some pretty good last words. If we have to pick our last words, those aren't bad. Those are pretty good. And I was thinking about famous last words. I have some other famous last words for us. And I want you to hear these and think about these and maybe some of the, the figures that, that are, they're connected to. And think of, think of this idea about these, these words being pointing beyond and extending beyond the, the natural life of these folks. And the way in which they communicate something profound, some of them I think communicate maybe a little bit of regret or some shortcomings, like don't, don't do this. So here, here's some of these famous last words. I, I didn't get to appreciate his music. This will date me a little bit, but Jimi Hendrix. The story of life is quicker than the blink of an eye. The story of love is hello and goodbye until we meet again. Bob Marley, money can't buy life. Da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. That one borders on legend. That, that's tough to historically verify, that, but close enough. Uh, a, Leonard Nimoy, a.k.a. Spock. His last tweet. This is his last tweet. A life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had but not preserved except in memory. And then there's Todd Beamer, who you might remember was a passenger of Flight, uh, flight 93, September 11, 2001, as he, as he got a group together and they charged the cockpit to try to take back the, the, the airplane from those who were hijacking it. Are you guys ready? Let's roll. Are you guys ready? Let's roll were his last words. When I was in college and in seminary, we, I had to take exams and tests that were in a blue book. Now, now Gage, you being in finance and doing a lot of math, do you guys do blue books, blue book tests? No blue book tests. Anybody blue book tests? No? All right, all online. So some blue books, okay. See, I didn't know how old the blue book test went back. I didn't, I didn't know if that was a recent invention or what. So I, I had a hard time finding the genesis of the blue book. But I'm glad they were the bane of my existence. But it, because of my degrees and my majors, like most of my exams were blue book exams. And it's all it is is just a big notebook full of blank sheets of paper that you just have to write your name on the front page and the class number and then you number however many questions, but it's all writing, it's all essay, that's all it is. And sometimes it's really depressing because I needed multiple
multiple blue books to finish an exam. And that was awful and miserable and would dread going into that class. And there's always that time because you're feverishly writing and your hand hurts. And even though the clock's there, we have a clock there, I can see the clock, you're not looking up much. So the teacher would get to that place where there was a, a, a warning, right? You only got 15 minutes left or 10 minutes left. And a big decision has to be made in that 15 minute, 10 minute mark. The test isn't finished yet. And I know I can't get all of it done the way I, I really, really want to get it done. Either I can't answer the question I'm on fully because there's not enough time left, or I haven't answered the next question. So what do you do? Do you just sort of be content with the completeness of, of the work that you've done and stop? Because you only got 10 to 15 minutes left, so you, you can't with a whole lot of coherence finish the test, or do you press on and do you use all the time that's been given to try to do the best you can to finish the test? 10, 15 minutes left. It was always this, what, what do you do? And I know uh, teachers over the years probably have seen students make, make every version of, of those choices multiple diff in multiple ways. What do you do? Today, the passage of scripture we're going to explore is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And I invite you to follow along. And these, these are some last words. These are Paul's last words to Timothy. They might even be the last words we have recorded from the Apostle Paul. They might be. We don't really know. But they're definitely the last words of Timothy. And there's some significance here with what Paul is going to say in his last words. And I want, us, I want you to think about as we read through this, this section of Scripture, think about them in terms of these are, these are Paul's last words. Paul has said a lot in his life that we have recorded in scripture and these are his last words perhaps. And like the blue book test made me aware of, in our lives we're not always cognizant of time. And the blue book test, that 15 minute mark, that 10 minute mark, very aware of time. N.T. Wright says this about Paul. Paul lived his life with the clock ticking in the background and wants Timothy to do the same. So let's, let's get started here in verse one. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, Paul says, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So he, before Paul even gives Timothy the charge and tells Timothy some things he wants Timothy to hear and to live out, he says, I want you to do this in view of the end. I want you to know the clock is ticking in your life. I, I want you to have in mind this final judgment that God's gonna come and judge the living and the dead. And in light of Jesus coming again in his final appearance, in his final appearing, in light of all that, I want you to hear this. I want you to do this. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So these instructions that Paul is giving to Timothy, 
they, they highlight for us the special relationship Paul has with Timothy. And then in all the times that Paul addresses Timothy, it seems like Timothy has a, a little bit of shyness and anxiety that many of us might have too. Like there's some unique characteristics Paul's intimately aware of that Timothy has to overcome and deal with if he's gonna fully live into the calling God has placed upon Timothy's life. And Paul is encouraging him in that. But, but Paul isn't just encouraging one individual's setbacks or weaknesses, if you will, those growing edges that have to be worked on, right? In order for Timothy to mature, lest we should think his words don't apply to us. Because Paul says a lot here that applies to all of us, that for those of us that may have a more assertive personality, more aggressive personality, Paul says to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction so that we shouldn't be a bull in a china shop if we're prone to be a little more assertive and a little more aggressive than others. So Paul is addressing at the same time one person and at the same time, all of those who would read God's holy word. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths and so Paul is carefully helping Timothy see here, there's some characteristics to your teaching that I, I want you to make sure that you take to heart. And I think three characteristics that we see Paul lays out here as he admonishes and encourages Timothy in his vocation to preach and to teach are these three things. Paul says our teaching should be clear, our teaching should be sound, and our teaching should be careful. That if our teaching isn't clear to us, then it's not going to be clear to anyone else in our lives who live with us, who we share life with, who we teach, who we've been charged to, to share life with and mentor. The, it's got to be clear. The gospel has to be clear. And there's a soundness. We can't be a walking contradiction. Right? We have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and teach us. We need to be grounded in scripture and there needs to be a coherence to us so that we're not a walking contradiction. And we have to, again, be careful and sensitive to the context that we're in, the, the history that we're walking into. <laughs> we, we have to be careful in a way so we don't tear down, but we build up those that we engage with. We have to be sensitive to the context and the experience of others. And our teaching and our lives have to be an overflow of God's good character and God's good call in our life. For we know the time all too well that Paul's referring to, I think, here. That's, he's, he speaks of when people will no longer put up with sound doctrine or sound truth, but will just want what they want to hear. They, there will be a time when even many of us, we just come to church and we don't want to hear another sermon. <laughs> we don't want to hear it. We're tired and, and life 
just is what it is and we're beaten down by it all. And so whether we want to hear it or don't want to hear it, Paul says in season and out of season, the message has to be true and has to be steady and has to be steadfast just like God's character is. Just the way in which God doesn't change, the way in which God's love doesn't fail, the message has to be the same because it's still good news whether we want to hear it or we don't want to hear it and that we can't bend the message to satisfy itching ears because we've seen even especially in the church even in our own denomination and outside of our own denomination all around we want to church shop to find the preacher that says what we want to (laughs) hear or we, we, we want to go in this circle or out of this circle until we're finally in a place where we're just, our toes aren't stepped on, finally. And we've seen that time and time again in all kinds of contexts in our life, in church and outside of church. And Paul is encouraging Timothy here and there's a strength to his words because these are his last words. This is what Paul has decided to say in the end for Timothy. If Timothy remembers nothing else, and I know Timothy will remember much, much more about Paul's life than these last words. But there's a strength, there's a way in which these words point beyond the scope of Paul's own life. And as people turn towards myths, as people bail out and turn against the truth, Paul says, don't lose your head, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Time is ticking and I want you to fulfill everything you've been called to do and not quit early. If you got 10 minutes more, if you got 15 minutes more, if you got 20 minutes more, what seems like a little bit of time could make a huge impact. It's amazing what God might do with your little bit of obedience. He just might change someone's life with your little obedience. And then Paul shifts. He shifts from giving a direct word to Timothy. And he's He's gonna talk about himself here in this moment for a second. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on the day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So Paul is very much aware of the time that he's in and what is coming. He knows his time is fulfilled. His time is coming to an end. Bronnie Ware was a nurse for the dying for many, many, many years. And she wrote this book a few years ago um, that was a bestseller, over a million copies sold. And it was The Five Regrets of the Dying. And she observed this throughout her many years as a nurse for folks that died in the midst of her care. She said, these are the five most common regrets I would hear over and over and over again of people in their life. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. 
I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had let myself be happier. And most, most of these regrets, of all five of these regrets, most of them, I think, relate to a lack of courage and a lack of connection. A lack of courage for doing the things that we feel passionate about, that we feel like we always should have done, but for whatever reason we held back and we didn't say something we should have said or we didn't do something we should have done. Or a lack of connection to loved ones and more time with, with those we care the most about. A lack of courage and a lack of connection. And when I think about these five regrets in comparison to what Paul is saying in, in his last words, is that there's no regrets here in what Paul is saying. Paul, Paul is saying, I ran the race, I fought the good fight, I kept the faith. Like, I had the courage to withstand the persecutions. I, I went where I was supposed to go, and I took the time to care for those that God placed in my life. And, and I took the time, and Timothy is, of course, a, a witness to this. I took the time to mentor those I was supposed to mentor. One of the things that's really striking to me in Paul's final words, if they are indeed Paul's last recorded words for us, is that his is a life of no regrets, and then he's calling us to live a life without regret. <laughs> and I, th I think we all know what Paul means when he says, I have fought the good fight. I've planted churches. I made those connections. I, I helped the church stay together and I mentored those who I was called to mentor. I fought the good fight. And sometimes our fights in our life, we get bogged down in fights that aren't the good fight, don't we? Um, we, we have fights um, with our spouse on who's right and who's wrong. And, and we fight to post something because we wanna make ourselves known or be associated with a particular group. So we gotta make sure we post certain things. We fight in all kinds of ways. And some of the fights that we have aren't inherently bad. We have all sorts of little quarrels and little fights and we get self-righteous about it and that they're not all inherently bad. But sometimes our energy is spent in all of these other fights and the more energy we spend in all these other fights, the less energy we, the less energy, the less energy we have for the fight of our life for the fight of living out the gospel and being courageous for God's glory and being a steward of those who God has put us, who's put in our lives to care for and to mentor and to have time available for, that there are all these other fights. Paul says he's run the race. He's run the race that he's been given. And the way in which Paul was able to run the race, he was able to run the race because he knew whose time it was that was given to him. That time didn't belong to him, that it wasn't a possession that he had, but that time was a gift given by God and the grace to know, to have the kind of assurance at the end of life to know, man, there's nothing more I could do. Like I've spent, I've spent the time. Like I, I was a good steward and I was faithful to the end. That's a pretty extravagant gift of grace that God gives Paul. And that we're encouraged to have the same kind of attitude to continue to run the race with the time that we've been given because we don't know how much time we have. And to keep the faith and to long for God's appearing. 
I remember when I was a kid, my dad had a job where he was gone a week, two weeks at a time sometimes. And we'd be sitting, eating at dinner. And of course, my brother and I, we'd lose track of time as to when dad was gonna be home. Like we kind of lost track. We didn't know because it, every business trip was different. Some days were five days, some days were seven days, some days a couple weeks. Like we, we just, we, you know, we didn't think about that. But we knew that if we were eating dinner and the garage door opened, like there's only one person coming through that door. And that was dad. And, and we were so excited because we missed him and we longed for him to be present with us. And one of the miracle things that Paul says and one of the most encouraging things that Paul says in his last words that it isn't just me. Like we've all seen Paul's done a lot. And this crown of righteousness, this crown of glory, this reward that Paul says he gets, he says, no, not just me, not just me, but all those who long, all those who live lives longing for the appearing of Jesus, all those who live lives longing for that fellowship <laughs> and who will persevere and fight the good fight and run the race, all those who keep the faith and keep the faith isn't, isn't just living out the faith that we've been given, but it's again, safeguarding and protecting the truth of God's word from those who would just wanna speculate and cause controversy right? Those who have itchy, itchy, itchy ears. Paul's last words are very simple and very direct. A little different than the book of Romans. <laughs> Paul's words are very straightforward and direct, these last words. And two words he lifts up in all those words that, that we read, and, and only eight verses. So it's, it's just verses one through eight of really a first Timothy that that Paul really gives this direct word to Timothy. But two words that many of us know too well that Paul encourages Timothy to do is endure hardship. And we're, we all have hard lives to a certain extent, one way or another. Life, life is hard. It just is. And in the midst of enduring hardship, I think of our legacy and what some of us want to pass on to our family and our kids and our neighbors and our friends, those that we're connected to. And that in light of what Paul has said to Timothy, that I want you to think about my last words in view of everything, in view of the end, that time is ticking away. There will come a time for us to pass on. And we don't know when that time will be. And many of us have family members with dementia whose last moments are robbed from us. Like they're not, our loved ones aren't who we always knew them to be. And so some of us will, will go through life and we don't get to hear the last word that we wanted to hear from, from our loved one or from our friend. It was just cut short and it's not fair. It's just hard. But, but at the end of it all, God is worthy. He's worthy of all the hardship. And, and I want us to think about what our last words might be. While we have the ability to cast a vision for our life, while we have a capacity to think about all that God's called us to do, all that God's called us to be, all the gifts, right? I want us to, I want to challenge you and myself to think about what would your last words be? What would they be? And another challenge 
If you know what they would be, then, then let's live by our last words. So that regardless of the time we're in, if it's fair, if it's unfair, if we, if we get to have the time with, with the, the, our, our loved ones, those who are closest to us, right? If, we get, if all that plays out the way we, we could dream of it in the perfect scenario, then that's a huge blessing and that's great. But it won't be that way for many of us. And there is this reward for us. And so we, we know the hope that we have. But for those for those of us now who we have the capacity, we have the ability to cast a vision for our life, what would our last words be? Let us live by our last words. So if we get to speak, if we don't get to speak in the end, everyone will know. Everyone will know that we belong to God. Everyone will know what our last words were because of how we lived. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, time is precious. And it doesn't belong to us and we don't know how much time that we have and we thank you, God, that through it all, through all the hardship that we have to endure, through time that we can't predict, we can't predict the outcomes and we just don't know. God, all that we, we know and that we can stand on is is that you are good, that your promises are true, that you love us. And that love doesn't change and doesn't waver like many things in our life, like our will and our desire that wants so many things that, that's horrible for us, that distracts us from the good and beautiful purpose that you have for our lives. God, help us stay focused on the people you have called us to be. God, help us understand those words that we need to say to our loved ones that we often don't have the courage to say. Help us say those things so we live a life of no regret. God, help us have courage. And God, help us stay connected and take the time. Sacrifice time at work if needed and to do some of the things that we want so that we have all the time that you give us for those that we love most, for those who, who need us the most. God, help us see those you have called us to serve that we don't, we don't often see every day. And in all the time that you have, we thank you. We thank you because it's all a gift. We didn't earn any of it. It's all a gift. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.